Well, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Center Point. I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us via video at Pike Road, with Tumka, Cloverdale, and elsewhere on the World Wide Web. We're glad you're with us today. Uh, today, we're talking about a fresh start with our future. I mean, we need to, some of us today, we need to talk about this because some of us don't like to talk about the future. I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why, but it can be something we're reticent to talk about. Maybe we're afraid of the future. Maybe we're just not ready to embrace the future because we're still working through a bunch of junk from the past or or maybe we never just even think about it. We just kind of live day to day. And today I want to talk with you what the Bible says, some very important principles about making sure that we can face the future unafraid. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Lord, if we turn on the news, things can scare us. Oh, my goodness. Lord, there are other times if I think about where I am, it's like, oh, I don't know if I can handle anything about the future. I'm just going to handle today and I can't think about it at all. Um, other times, Lord, we feel like, well, are we supposed to be doing something? And so today, I just pray, Lord, that you will guide us in all these things. These are legitimate feelings and legitimate concerns. And I thank you for your word that guides us in all matters of faith and practice, even how we're supposed to think about the future. So please speak and move me out of the way, Lord. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Point one on your outline is simply this. Many of us need a fresh start with our future. Many of us need a fresh start. Uh, three categories I want to bring up today. First is this. Some of us have given up hope. We have given up hope. Could be that in 2015, we lost a loved one. Or we had a business go south. Or a marriage fell apart. Or who knows? All kinds of things where we get to the place where we're just on the edge of despair. Does the Bible talk about people like that? Oh, yeah, many places. In your outline, you'll see from Ruth chapter 1, we're talking about a woman named Naomi here. Um, If you go online, we did a whole series on Ruth where where we unpack the whole story. But Naomi was the mother-in-law of the lead character of the book of Ruth. Ruth, okay. But anyway, Naomi was her mother-in-law. And when Naomi and her husband had moved away to a foreign land, she left there and they moved away from Bethlehem where they had been living to a place they thought life would be better, but while they were in this foreign land, her husband died and both of her sons died. They had married women from that land, the land of Moab, and uh, so she was left there with two daughters-in-law. And in those days, women couldn't own property the same as men. Women couldn't make a living the same as men, and it was a terrible fix. One of her daughters-in-law stayed in that land, and Ruth came back to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, Naomi, And when they arrived to town, all the women in the town said, Is this Naomi? And this is where we're jumping in right here. This is Ruth chapter 1, verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Because in those days, also, people were named, their their names had meaning about things. And Naomi meant pleasant. That's what it was. And she said, Well, don't call me pleasant, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. I'm changing my name to bitter. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. God's made my life hard, so just call me bitter. You bet she got lots of invitations to parties after that. Okay, wow, (laughs) let's invite bitter over. Okay, Um, no, but she didn't care about that. She was angry and she was bitter. And for her to think about her future, don't even call me pleasant. Just call me bitter. God's done me wrong. I'm done. And some of us, that might describe pretty much where we are. We've given up hope for the future. We've lost sight of something very important. And we'll get to that in a minute. 
In Lamentations 3, here's another place in the Bible. The prophet Jeremiah is writing these words. Uh, The book of Lamentations is a lament. It's like a funeral dirge. The whole book of Jeremiah that goes right in front of it in the Bible is a prophecy where God had put it on Jeremiah's heart to warn the people they need to repent. Repent and turn or face destruction. Repent and turn or face destruction. Repent and turn or face destruction. But the people did not repent and turn, and so they faced destruction. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. And Jeremiah saw the whole thing coming before it happened. And in Lamentations, he's recording after it happened. Here's what he said. Peace has been stripped away. I've forgotten what prosperity is. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I'll never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. And so in the middle of all the destruction, the people, and this was even a case where the people just had seen it coming, wouldn't obey. Even still, when he saw the temple in ruins and he'd watched his friends dragged off in slavery, many other people killed, he said, my grief is beyond more than I, it's more than I can bear. So in the Bible, people have been bitter about the lot in life they have and they've been angry toward God and how could you let this happen in future, future I can't even deal with where I am. Well, there's a life application for us, and that's this. We must put our hope in God and not our circumstances. Now, first of all, let me say before I say anything else, it's not wrong to grieve. When we go through a hard time, when we lose a loved one, it's appropriate to grieve, and God would never tell us not to grieve. Jesus himself wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, and he knew he was going to raise him from the dead in a few minutes. So God understands our sorrow. I'm talking about... When after we've had a time of grieving, when we won't move on. This is now going to be, call me Mara. I can't get past this. I'm going to stay here. Well, that's when we need to make sure we're putting our hope in God, not our circumstances. Because here's what happened in, in Naomi's life. Chapter 1, she came back to Bethlehem and said, Call me Mara. God's dealt me a bitter blow. My life is over. There's only four chapters in Ruth. By chapter 4, we find out that Ruth has taken care of her mother-in-law. Ruth has gone out and protected her. And a noble man saw that Ruth was taking care of her mother-in-law and offered to marry her and became a redeemer. And through Ruth, Naomi gained a grandson, something she had given up hope on. And here's what happens in Ruth 4. Then the women of of the town of Bethlehem said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child... Be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. And they named the little baby. And so here is, here is uh, Naomi holding this little baby, a grandson whom she'd given up hope of ever having. And she's holding him and they named him Obed. And he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. And so here was the great grandmother of David. Not just a baby. This was going to be the grandfather of King David, the greatest king in Israel's history. And the women of Bethlehem are rejoicing and saying, look how God has blessed her. Chapter 1, her life is over. Chapter 4, she's blessed. What happened? God worked his plan. Something Naomi never could have guessed. Could it not be possible in your life and my life that God has things in store for us even though we might think everything's hopeless and gone? 
Could it not be possible that God has bigger plans than I can conceive? Well, of course it can. And that's why the Bible tells us, don't put your hope in your circumstances. God's bigger than our circumstances. Here's what Jeremiah said. I read those verses from Jeremiah uh, from Lamentations 3 where Jeremiah is lamenting and saying it's bitterness more than he could bear. Here are the next couple of verses. In the midst of all that hopelessness, Jeremiah went on to say, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. I mean, if you've ever sung that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, that's where it comes from. In the middle of a dirge with a person saying, this is beyond what I can bear, yet I'll remember this, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, your hands have provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. comes right there out of that verse. In the midst of all his suffering, in the midst of all the punishment, Jeremiah said, but I know this, that God's mercies never cease. What's interesting in that verse where it says the faithful love of the Lord, if you'd circle the word love, it's actually written in plural in the original language. The faithful loves of the Lord. It's beyond description. That's why it's new mercies and it's new faithfulnesses. God is so faithful and so loving and so merciful that it's, not, it's hard to put it into just a singular word. But it's not just how much he loves us. He loves us upon loving us. And he doesn't just have mercy. He has mercy upon mercy. And his mercies are new every morning if we're willing to look for them. If you're here today and it seems like things are hopeless and you've lost hope, focus on God, not your circumstance. Paul talks about this in Romans 8. That's not just an Old Testament thought. This is a New Testament thought. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he's promised us. In heaven, we're going to have brand new bodies that will never die again, perfect in every way, never get sick, never get old. We can see God face to face with the brand new bodies we have in heaven. If that's good news, would you say amen? amen. Well, we don't have those yet. In this world, we have bodies that will get sick and get old and fail and die. We're not in heaven yet. We're in Alabama. It's pretty good, but it's not heaven, okay? We're not there yet. We're not there yet. And Paul says we, we hope for that day when God will give us these full rights, including the new bodies he's promised us, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. When we get to the time of grief and hopelessness where the pain is too much to bear, that's the time to come to God and go, God, this is too much for me to bear. My heart is filled with anguish. Would you give me hope? Would you help me see your new mercies? Would you intercede for me? I don't even know how to pray for this. And Paul says the Holy Spirit will intercede for us and he'll pray on our behalf. That is comforting to me. That in my deepest anguish, God knows, God sees, God helps, and God hears. Do not give up hope today of the future. Focus on God, not on your circumstance. We all must do this. Otherwise, we can give in to despair. And Jesus came to give us hope. Some of us need a fresh start with the future because we've given up hope. Some of us need a fresh start with the future because we're afraid of the future. I mean, you watch the stock market reports one day, oh my goodness. 
We could be worried about the economic future of our country. We could be worried about the political future. We've got elections this year. Oh, my goodness. And there's a threat of terrorism. Oh, my goodness. We haven't even gotten to if your kids have started driving. Okay? Or dating. Oh, my goodness. How are we going to pay for things? How are we going to handle things? Oh, and we can just be balled up in fear. And I don't want to talk about the future. I don't want to deal with it. Maybe I just close my eyes. It won't happen. Well, the future's coming. Tomorrow's coming. Tomorrow. And God doesn't want us to be afraid of that. He doesn't want us to be afraid of the future. Well, were people ever afraid of the future in the Bible? Oh, yeah, many times. Here's another case in point. Numbers 14. Children of Israel were rescued from slavery in Egypt. God did all kinds of miracles to rescue them from Pharaoh's hand. They marched out. The Egyptians were throwing gold jewelry and fine clothes at them. They plundered the Egyptians on the way out. The Egyptians changed their mind when the Israelites got to the Red Sea and chased after them. God parted the Red Sea. The Israelites walked through on dry ground. When the Egyptians came in their chariots, the water closed in over and drowned them all. They saw miracle after miracle. Yet within a few short months, they get to the edge of the promised land and about to go in. Something terrible happened. They got there, they sent in one leader from each of the 12 tribes, 12 spies to spy out the land to see if it was really a land flowing with milk and honey like God had promised. They came back and they said, yes, it is. But 10 of the spies said, but we can't go in because there are big fortified cities and the people in there are giants. They're huge. We, we can never take them on. And so the people began to weep and cry. It says they cried out all night, oh no, we came here and and now we're stuck because we can't defeat these people. They completely forgot that God was the one who rescued them. They were eating manna every morning that God provided bread from heaven that he provided miraculously every day. In the middle of their camp was a pillar of cloud that had guided them to the border. It glowed by fire at night so they didn't even have to be afraid of the dark. And yet they were still afraid to go in. Here's what's, ha here's what here's what's going on in Numbers 14. They said, why is the Lord taking us to this country to only have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt, where they've been in slavery? They'd rather go back to slavery than to take the chance fighting for freedom with God on their side. And then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt instead of Moses. Two of the men who'd explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing and they said to all the people of Israel, Look, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land, and if the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us safely into that land and give it to us. Do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. And if you don't underline, don't be afraid of them. They were afraid of the future. It didn't matter how much God had done for them in the past, he wasn't going to be able to take them into the future. They wouldn't believe. Here's a life application for us. We don't have to be afraid of the future because God is with us. God is with us. Would you say that with me? God is with us. One more time. God is with us. Well, where do you get that idea? Well, numerous places in the Bible. Matthew 28, Jesus told his disciples to go make disciples of the whole world. Teach them everything I've taught you. And he said this, and be sure of this, I'm with you always. And please circle the word always, even to the end of the age the end of the world. God is with us. A month ago, we celebrated Christmas and we sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means? God is with us. 
Well, yeah, that meant that God came down to earth as a form of a little baby so he could grow up and understand us, and he could die on the cross and pay the penalty for our sins, and he could rise from the dead and conquer death, and he ascended up to heaven and is preparing a place for it as he's coming back one day. But what's here? Well, he said, I'm going to ascend to the Father and prepare a place for you, and when I leave, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you, and he'll be in you. He'll give you power to change from the inside out. He'll always be with you. Everything that I hear from the Father, I'll tell him, he'll tell you. I'll be with you always. So don't be afraid. Paul talked about this in Romans 8. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither, neither angels or demons, neither our, fear, neither our fears for today, or our worries about tomorrow. Underline worries about tomorrow. There it is, the future. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Another verse from Romans 8. Would you say that verse with me out loud? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? You know, I'm not afraid if somebody goes with me and knows what they're doing. I'll never forget, I was kind of nervous about doing uh, the first wedding I ever performed. At the time, I was working at Fraser Methodist in our Senior pastor there, John Ed Matheson, said, well, I'll help you. I'll do the wedding with you. And so I was officiating the wedding, and he was with me, and he was going to offer a prayer and say a few words of wisdom in there and other things. He goes, we'll make sure it goes well. And so we get the wedding started, and the bride comes down with her father and everything, and I'm asking them the initial questions, have some prayers, and we turn around. The bride and groom are supposed to go with us on the platform, and uh, John Ed leans over to me while we're walking. He goes, you going to ask them to sit down, or they're going to stand through this whole thing. I turn around and go, please be seated. Okay, and uh, um, after the wedding was over at the reception, somebody said, I thought that was so amazing. It was so reverential the way you had us all stand until you got up on the platform. You go, well, you know, those things are important. Um, (laughs) Do you know, I was not afraid to do that wedding. And do you know why? Because John Ed was with me. He'd done a thousand of these things. Well, not that many, but he'd done a lot of them. He knew what he was doing. I'm not afraid if I'm with somebody who knows what they're doing. Well, who knows the future? God. Who understands me? Who made me? God. Who's stronger than any enemy I can face? You say it. So then why are we afraid? I remember on my dad's farm, we'd have to go feed cattle at night. Sometimes I'd be scared of the dark. He goes, I'll go with you. Let's go. I'm pretty tough when dad was with me. So why are we afraid? And we can look at these Israelites and go, ah, they had all these miracles happen to them. How come they were afraid? And yet if you and I were honest, God has answered prayer after prayer after prayer when our kids were born and when we got that job and when he forgave us of our sins and when he's opened the Bible to us and spoken to us and when we were a part of helping lead somebody else to the Lord, he answered prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer. And now in 2016, we got some big challenges coming our way. Oh, God can't do it. No, I can't go forward. I'm going to be with you always. Can we read Romans 8.31 again? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? That is a good question, isn't it? So some of us need a fresh start with the future because we've been stuck in grief and we're focused more on our circumstances than on God, and we've got to stop that. Some of us are afraid of the future 
And again, we need to focus on God. We've got to stop that because he's going to go with us. He'll guide us. He'll give us counsel if we seek it. He'll show us what to do. Then point C, some of us don't realize the decisions we make today determine our future. There's yet another category. First, I want to talk about, we're going to give you a few steps about getting ready for our future, but there's another group of people that could be here this morning. You know, we're not thinking about the future. We're just living, we're not trusting God day to day like the scripture says. We're just kind of living, just kind of tumbling through life. We're not praying about the future. We're not asking God to guide us. We're just kind of existing and thinking that, hey, the things I do today don't have any impact on the future, and we're careless. That's what I'm talking about here. Listen to what the Scripture says. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his own sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. I mean, there are decisions that I'm making today that are going to have implications on my future. If I'm saving no money today, there won't be money tomorrow. If I don't eat right or exercise today, I'm not going to be in shape 10 years from now. It won't happen. In the margin, can you write denial? Just write the word denial. And some of us are here. That's not a river in Egypt, by the way. This is us not being honest with the choices we make. Let's be honest. Hey, what, am I making wise choices today for the future? The rest of the story here in Numbers 14 kind of shows how the consequences played out for those people who wouldn't go in. The people said, we won't go in. Let's elect a new leader to come back. There was a big kind of a riot starting in the camp, and all of a sudden the glorious presence of the Lord descended on the camp, and God spoke to Moses, and he told him to tell the people this. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. You said your children would be carried off as plunder. Well, I will bring them safely into this land, and then they will enjoy what you have despised. The people had seen miracle after miracle after miracle. The presence of God was hovering above the tent of meeting in the middle of their camp. There was no reason to be afraid. They wouldn't go in, and God says, Fine, if you won't go in, then I will take the children that you were so worried about I'll take them in. But for the next 40 years, you're going to wander through the wilderness and all of you will die during that 40 years. Anybody who's 20 years old or older and your kids will be the one who come in. Maybe they will trust me. And you can bet that was a somber moment. I mean, the Lord asks us to trust him. But like any father, he gives us choices. We do it with our kids. Good parents always do that. They save up money in their piggy bank, and then one day they go spend it and buy a video game or something, and they're playing with it for a week or two, and then they get, they get bored with it and go, Dad, I want that money back. It's like, yeah, don't we all? That's called having your cake and eating it too, son, and you can't do it. You're going to have to learn to make wise choices. Any parent worth his salt wants the kids to grow up to do that. Well, God's worth his salt. And if you and I are wise, he'll allow us to make wise investments in the future. If we're foolish, we'll squander opportunities today and pretend that nothing's going to happen. God gives us hope, but he doesn't want us to live in denial. And that brings us um, to uh, a life application here. If we turn from our sins, God will give us a fresh start. Hey, you've heard me say this many times here. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Next best time's today. 
If we've been going the wrong way and haven't been living as we should, let's turn around. Listen to what he says in Joel 2. That's why the Lord says, turn to me now while there's still time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief. Tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He's eager to relent and not punish. Before the people were carried off in Jeremiah's day, he'd warned them over and over and over again, repent, come back, repent, come back, repent, come back. Before they got to the border of the promised land, he had over and over again provided water and food and victory and direction over and over and forgiveness. And finally the people said, we're not going. He goes, okay, well, I'll take somebody else who will. Now look, you and I, have a chance in 2016 to follow the Lord. If we have made bad choices in 2015 and 2014 and years past, today's the day to repent and turn around. The Lord says, come to me. Let's not do this anymore. Let's get this right. I can't think of a better time than right now. We've got 11 of the 12 months of this year in front of us, yet let's surrender to him today. And that brings us to point two. In order to have a fresh start with our future, we need to make some important choices. We need to make some important choices. First of all, you and I need to choose to live with the end in mind. With the end in mind. Listen to Psalm 90. This is, these are words from Moses. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80. So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. To number our days. 70 years, maybe 80. Well, is that still legitimate? Yeah, according to the Centers for Disease Control in America, the average life expectancy is 78. Now, what am I talking about numbering our days? Well, next week, I'm going to turn 54. Gulp. If I live the average age life expectancy of an American, and by the way, it's not even quite as bright as that. For women, it's 81. For men, it's 76. 78 and a half is right in the middle. Now, if I'm going to number my days, what am I talking about? Well, let's just say I want to read one book a month for the rest of my life. That's 12 a year. For 20 years, that's 240. For the other four years, it's 48. 288, some of you are going, I didn't come here to do math, John. You're confusing me, okay? That means if I start reading a book this month, I have 288 books I'm going to read in the rest of my life. Next month, 287. Next month, 286. You see how it goes? Of the millions of books you can read in the world, I only have 288 left. I've been reading one a month. I probably ought to be careful about that. What do you think? Which What I pick up? That's a different way of looking about things. What if I spend my life for the next 24 years and I invest in one person every year that I'm going to disciple, make sure they know how to read the Bible, make sure they know how to pray, make sure they know how to share their faith, make sure they're doing well with their family, make sure I'm pouring my life into that one person every year. And I teach them how to do the same. Well, do you understand that if they reach a friend and they reach a friend and they reach a friend, after 24 years, there'll be an army of people. And they'll live on past me even when I die. But it would behoove me to start living with the end in mind and not going back to this again about being in denial. 
That's going to impact my choices. Now go straight across the page on your outline there. There's a third question for connect groups. Um, We had them read this passage and then answer the following questions. Let me throw these out for all of us this morning. What dreams have I put on hold? Why? When am I going to get around to them? What activities in my life are time wasters? When will I be ready to tackle a God-sized challenge? What good activities do I need to give up in order to make time for the best things that I can be doing with my life? I think those are legitimate questions. And if I'm living with the end in mind, I'm going, hey, if I got a vacation once a year, I only got 24 left. Well, I better be careful about where I go. It's time to get serious. I'm going to get, in my case, if I want to get another, if I want to get a a degree, I got to go back to school if I want to get a doctorate. Well, when am I going to go? What about you? What's God putting on your heart? And when are you going to tackle that? And when are you even going to ask God about that? Moses said it'd be good if we started counting that. And that brings us to point B. In order to do the right things, we've got to say no to the wrong things. We must choose to say no. Just say no. Would you say that with me? Just say no. Turn to the person next to you and say, just say no. Some of you wouldn't do that, so good for you. You just said no to me. Good, I'm proud of you. Okay, you already said no. Some of us need to say no to a lot of things. Uh, A few months ago, we went through Nehemiah. That's online as well, if you want to hear the whole series. Nehemiah was uh, in trouble from the time he started obeying God with people who wanted to distract him and confuse him and even kill him. There were some guys who wanted to pull him off to work when they were rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, and they told him to come meet him. They said they want to have a secret meeting with him, and here's what happened. Nehemiah said, I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. And this was before texting. I mean, what happens if people are trying to distract us? Why can't we go, hey, I'm going to quote, man, that's a good verse. I'm going to quote Nehemiah 6.4. No, I can't come. God has an important work for me. I, I Don't try to stop me right now. And some of us need to exercise that verse more often. I mean, what are the time wasters in our life? And what things do we need to say no to so we can do the most important things? Because there's a million urgent things that come at us. I mean... If your life is like mine, man, the minute you wake up in the morning, all the activities today come rushing at you like wild animals. But when am I going to write the letter that I've said I'm going to write? When am I going to make that apology that I need to make? When am I going to make that phone call and just say I love you to one of my relatives? I've been meaning to do this. I've got to say no to something to make time for the most important things. Point C, we also have to choose our friends wisely. And I put friends and advisors. Anytime I put the word friends in there, I don't mean that we should only hang out with Christians. I mean, we have to befriend non-Christians to bring them to the Lord. I'm talking about the people you're listening to for advice. It's one thing to have non-Christians whom we're influencing to bring to Christ. It's another thing to hang around people who influence us to drag us away from what God wants us to do. Psalm 1 Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel. And please circle the word counsel. That's what we're talking about here. 
walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is yet another reason why we want you to be part of a connect group with friends who are going the same direction, who are meditating on God's word, who want to do what God wants them to do, can help us do what God wants us to do. We need friends who can pray for us, and we can pray for them. If I've only got a few years left, well, I'm going to need wisdom on that. I mean, there's 288 books. Which books? Who am I going to ask? I don't want to read dirty things, filthy things. Well, which things do I want to read? Well, whom would I ask and whom would I seek counsel from? This is why it's so important to have Christian friends. They go, I I read a great book. I'd commend that to you. This is important. And we need to choose our friends and advisors wisely. And finally, if we're going to have a fresh start with the future, we need to surrender our lives to God every day. Surrender. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. A living sacrifice means I stay on the altar. Every day, I surrender my life again. His mercies are new every morning, so I'm going to surrender myself every morning. If I don't have to be afraid of the future, if God goes with me, well, he's with me every day. So, Lord, what do you have for me today? I surrender my fears. I pray with moanings and groanings that the words can't express. Holy Spirit, you're going to have to intercede for me on this. I want your direction, Lord, today. Wherever you want to take me, I'll go. Just give me the strength and the wisdom to do it. And that's what we're talking about. And there's no better time than today. I hope this has been a word of encouragement for you and me. What if you and I are on the precipice of the biggest blessing that God has ever had in store for us? What if February of 2016 is basically the border to the promised land? Am I going to be afraid to go in? Or am I going to trust that God's going to go with me, even if it's a challenge? Am I going to be living in the past? I can't get past my pain and anguish, or am I going to look at God instead of my circumstances? The choices I make today are going to determine my future. So I need to surrender every day and get good counsel so I make the right ones. And that's when we have hope. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you that you have given us time to study your word, to guide us. I just pray, Lord, you would surround us with friends who will give us wisdom on how to apply all this. And I pray that we will have the good sense to meet with other Christians and say no to distractions to make time for that. I pray that we will not be afraid of the future and we will not get stuck in dwelling on the pains of the past. Grief is essential and it's important and we don't need to rush through it, but we don't need to live there either. If the Lord spoke to you about something you need to surrender today, pray about it right now and say, Lord, I heard you. I heard you. Give me the strength to obey. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.